0: So, right now in the cafe talks here at GreenTech, we have uh, a topic which has gained a lot of interest medicinal cannabis and cultivation technologies for that. And with me here in the studio, uh, who's going to present the topic, is Philip van Noort from Wageningen University. Philip, you have a presentation
1: for us. Yes, I have. Thank you for your kind introduction. Well, uh, my name is Philip van Noort and I work as a crop specialist for Wageningen University. And I'm going to tell you something about the research we do. And my presentation has the title, Growing Cannabis in a Greenhouse, Fun or Trouble? So um, in 2016, we had the opportunity to start with research on this interesting crop. And uh, we did our first trial for a, a light company. And in 2017, we started to work with a substrate uh, producer named Groden. And of course, if you, if you want to grow this plant, you need to have uh, plant material. So I went to Amsterdam and uh, find a lot of interesting varieties. Um, in the late 2017, uh, a lot of other co- Dutch companies uh, wanted to work on this uh, on this crop as well so uh, then we started uh, the legal cannabis coalition and uh, a lot of Dutch companies were involved uh, Grodan, Havekon, uh, Hoogendoorn, Koppert, Ludwig Svensson, Meteor, Orion, Perfect Plant, Plantice, Royal Brinkman and Temato And well, what we want to do is we want to develop knowledge how to grow this plant in a greenhouse and uh, as optimal as possible. And we also want to have more evidence-based information on growing cannabis. So what do we want to know? We want to know which combination of uh, sunlight Uh, Artificial light, temperature, carbon dioxide, water, fertilization is needed to grow a good crop. And you also want to know uh, what you have to do in which phase, because you have cuttings, you can have cuttings, or uh, you have mother plants, or or, uh, the normal growth. Um, Some other topics we also worked on were uh, biological control. Uh, resilience and nanobubbles so we try to uh, have a systematic approach and uh, the goal is also to share the information we uh, collect so about the systematic approach what do we want to know and what is the most urgent so we want to know How much light, temperature, carbon dioxide you have can give to this plant. So we make so-called response curves. Uh, We we want to know how much artificial light is beneficial. Uh, Water fertilization. Uh, We have measured uh, evaporation to have an idea uh, how much water you should give and uh, try to avoid botrytis, what for us is is a big problem. We worked on some varieties and, well, I hope uh, someday to work on uh, the what the difference, differences are between growing in a greenhouse or in an indoor situation. So if you start, you try to make cultivation protocols, and uh, we have done it for sowing, for cloning, uh, well, you have to separate males and females. You have to uh, judge or choose what kind of plant you want to make. Do you want to make a, a Christmas tree, as I call it, so a non-pinched plant? Or do you want to make a pinched plant with with more heads? Um, well, work on mother plants or making cuttings and try to be fully in control of the end product. So um, I'm going in a bit deeper now. Uh, Well, we have worked on, uh, well, we work with cuttings. And uh, for cuttings, you use mother plants or stock plants. And at this moment, the way we do it is, uh, we keep our mothers maximum uh, six months. Because uh, we saw when the mothers get older, your cuttings uh, uh, are, uh well are less good the 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 rooting took longer and the plants uh were not as good but what we also saw in in uh, if you see it in a longer time is degeneration of the varieties and i know there's a lot of discussion because uh growers say oh we have our mother plants for 10 or 20 years but uh well Maybe I'm the only one with this problem, but we see uh, degeneration. And what we are working on now is uh, how you can avoid uh, the degeneration of your plants. Uh, So what we do is, uh, well, we give it, maybe you can call it a a refreshment. So we have put uh, several varieties in uh, tissue culture. And when uh, when those cuttings come uh, back to our our station, we see uh, if you make make cuttings from tissue culture mother plants, you see faster rooting again, you have bigger plants. And in the first check, we also saw uh, our normal ingredient levels back. So at this moment, I say, if you start a new round of mothers, start from tissue culture. Uh, what you also could do is uh, use always uh, tissue culture plants, but that's the the choice you can make. Um, about cultivation, um, well, if you if you cultivate this plant, you have a lot of choices to make. Um, well, you will you have to choose uh, varieties, so which variety you choose is based on on what you want to do with it. Do you need high CBD? do you need uh, a mixture? those kind of uh, uh, decisions you have to make. Uh, what type of plant do you want to make a pinch plant or do you want to make a sea of green so you have? different uh, possibilities uh, of uh, plant types of course the cultivation system do you grow on gutters do you grow on tables that all will affect the way uh, you grow this plant and of course the cultivation climate so what we do with most varieties or with most trials um, uh, we root ourselves we root for uh, about 14 days, a bit depending on the variety, of course. We do one week of a long day vegetative, and then we flip to the short day, and then depending on the variety, you need a, uh, a seven till nine or ten weeks for uh, for blooming. Now we grow in. Uh, in compartments of uh, 144 square meter. Uh, In that compartment, we grow uh, 580 plants with five plants a square meter. And um, the the compartment I use can, you can make uh, six different combinations of water uh, or fertilization strategies. So you can, within the same climate, you can compare different strategies And if you use more compartments, what we have done sometimes is that you also can compare uh, light and climate combinations. Uh, For instance, we did some work on uh, high-pressure sodium light versus uh, LED lights. Uh, We use uh, also additional measuring tools, Uh, for instance, the Temperature and humidity uh, sensors from thirty megahertz uh, we use thermo imaging cameras. Uh, we have used a crop observer. Uh, I will come back to that and we also are uh, working with uh, a camera from a company called specs iE and uh, we are trying to together to develop a, a tool that you can predict. Uh, What the cannabinoid level in your plants is, and we're also looking at if you if it's possible to make a a kind of early warning system for uh, diseases like uh, like botrytis. So this is a a picture of our greenhouse, and uh, so you see the two gutters, and uh, you see that we use well you. Uh, You see, uh, maybe you can see the orange and white sachets from the biological control. Um, uh, Here you see two pictures. One is from a thermographic camera. Uh, It's uh, uh, on the the left. And what you see, there's a a lot of difference in temperature uh, on that flower and Uh, I know that the top has botrytis. So you see uh, it's a way that you can see when the water uh, logging to the flower stops and then it could be a sign that you are in trouble. Uh, The other one uh, on the um, the right is uh, the sensor from 30 megahertz and you put the, the measuring device more or less in the flower. And then you then you know what the climate almost in your flower is, and we use it to try to avoid botrytis. Uh, here you see uh, the the yeah the the cameras from uh, SpexIE. Uh, it's a it's moving. It's a moving camera, and uh, well that that's the one we we use to develop. Uh, uh, Maybe uh, some kind of early warning for uh, botrytis, and we want to know what is the exact good harvest time for our flowers. I will go in a bit deeper on the on the light. Um, we we made uh, light response curves, and what you can see in this uh, in this slide is that. Uh, well, we, we measure with a, a, a Lycor, we measure the, CO, uh, the carbon dioxide uptake directly to a leaf. So what you measure then is the real photosynthesis on that moment. And what you see, uh, we did it with a, a carbon dioxide level of uh, 700 ppm, constantly and a temperature of 25 degrees and then you go higher and higher with your light level. And what you want to know is how much light can this plant have. And as you can see, well we went up to uh, 1800 micromoles and you still see that the curves are going up. So we don't see, with this high light levels, we still don't see uh, problems, Uh, but I have to say these are measurements from uh, short uh, shorter periods, so I don't know if you if you give uh, eighteen hundred micromoles uh, for twelve hours how much uh, how much it will uh, uh if it will damage or not um, this is the crop observer this is also uh, uh something to measure the the light level and uh what you can see is that uh, at night the the, uh, the the blue line is high and when you uh, on the day you will go to stress and so this this is a tool that you can see okay the plant has stress or not and then you have to think uh, what you could do to uh, uh, get less stress uh, about uh, uh, varieties um, well i got a lot of questions about uh, how what you do when you want to uh, start with new varieties well what i would suggest at this moment is if you start from seeds uh, you make a, well you you uh, make a plant from a, around uh, 30 centimeters then you cut the the top and you bring it to flower and uh, the, the bottom part you bring in the mother room. And then uh, you can select uh, the, the one or two best ones from a certain variety and then you throw away the rest and then you have already the one uh, in your mother room that's, that's the good one. And I would also suggest to put it in uh, tissue culture because then you, uh, you know that you have, uh, uh, well, you have your good plant and you, you have it for a long time in tissue culture. So my conclusion, uh, growing in greenhouses is not always easy because you have to react fast on outside circumstances. But uh, for me, it's still fun. Thank you.
0: Uh, presentation regarding the research conducted here in the Netherlands. Um, Please join me at the table. We are now going to take our two guest speakers from the other side of the world into the room. Um, Brady and Paul, thank you for joining us today here in the the medicinal cannabis um, talks. Um, Paul, can you introduce yourself uh, to us briefly?
2: Yeah, <clears throat> my name's Paul Salina. I've uh, spent a lifetime in the greenhouse industry. Uh, you guess from my accent, I come originally from the north of England, but I have uh, came to work in the U.S. more than 30 years ago. I had a spell in Mexico, five or six years with the early greenhouse industry there, and then I came back to the U.S., and I've spent the last 20 years with village farms, and um, Initially production, production management, but um, the most of the last 15 on different projects and research work. And uh, I was part of the team that put together village farms, uh, cannabis operation in, in Vancouver. It's called Pure Sun Farms.
0: Okay, thank you, uh, Paul. Um, let's move to uh, Brady Green from um, Green Consulting Group.
3: Awesome. Hi. Thanks, Sunny. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and evolve with uh, Green Tech Conference. As uh, Sunny said, my name is Brady Green. I'm formerly the VP of Cultivation and head grower for one of Canada's largest producers. Uh, I have over six and a half years' experience in the legal uh, Canadian market, which is, is basically as much as, as possible in the legal market in these days. Uh, And I have real-world experience producing over 50,000 kilos a year. So I think this leads uh, me to have a good understanding of of challenges with cannabis operations and startups. And to date, I've built over 10 state-of-the-art facilities across the globe.
0: Okay, thank you, uh, Brady. I see the first uh, question from the audience coming in. How did you actually become a cannabis grower? What was the change in moving to this sector?
3: Uh, so I've, I've been a plant enthusiast and, and passionate about growing since I was in my teens. Uh, I've always you know, grown any veggie crop, tropical crop you can name. Uh, I had, I guess, more limited experience in large uh, commercial production. Uh, I was actually uh, in the process of starting my own uh, aquaponics herb farm uh, when uh, medical cannabis was, was legalized in Canada. Uh, and I just, uh, I guess, was was in the right place at the right time, and, and saw the application uh, at my company. Uh, I started uh, right at the bottom as a grow tech, uh, you know, doing a lot of the cleaning and and, and menial tasks. And uh, said over five years, I worked my way up to uh, to the VP position, head grower.
0: Okay, interesting uh, pathway. Um, then, um, Paul, you uh, you're coming from the tomato industry, um, what aspects of the tomato industry you directly implemented into this cannabis uh, space of growing?
2: Right, well, I suppose one of the biggest things was that having an existing operating greenhouse, uh, we already had a team in place. Uh, people know what to do. They know who to talk to. They know how to fix fun- uh, fix problems. Uh, they already know how to operate the climate and the computer. And then also, I think, some of the equipment that we use to move things around, the logistics, logistical equipment, that's already in place. And I think that facilitated a lot of things to get uh, to scale up the growing of cannabis. Uh, I remember when we planted our first zone, uh, that was going to be 5,000 plants. And uh, the legacy growers who were working with the team were really scared of the idea of trying to move 5,000 plants in one day. Um, we did it in like three hours uh, and uh, planted a half acre uh, because that was nothing to a big tomato operation. With a big tomato operation, they would plant the whole thing in one or two days. It's 12 or 25 acres a day. So uh, <clears throat> so having all that experience, I think, was a big, big difference. Uh, we know how to manage climate, computer, automated irrigation. We don't have people walking around with hose pipes uh, and I think we also we brought a, <coughs> a culture of uniformity. So we're trying. It's one of the things we're striving to in the cannabis now is to maintain a uniform crop. Uh, then other things: scouting, biocontrol, all those things that a grower does, reading a plant, color of the plant, little imperfections, tip burn, you know. We wish that we can read these things and then i suppose also because we've uh, we've developed a lot of greenhouse projects we had a good idea uh, what systems we needed to put into the greenhouse uh, to make it a, an effective cannabis operation and we knew the suppliers to go and talk to to achieve that yeah so we were trying to get become effective get the scale but uh, without uh, uh, some of the crazy investments that have gone into some other facilities
0: yeah So I'm happy to see that here around uh, the table we have uh, many years of experience uh, in the cannabis. Um, Just to come back to uh, your story, uh, Philip, um, a question from Damien Salazar. Um, Did uh, THC or CBD content increase while you were moving towards tissue culture
1: plants? No. Um, What really happened is that we uh, saw uh, in the years the, the levels go down. In the in the plants we were growing, and with tissue culture, uh, the the we did a trial that we saw them come back to the original level. So, um, but we we will do some more tests on it. But I but what I think is that you you need to pick uh, the best variety you have and put it in in tissue culture just to to have it there and start your, yeah. your so models from.
0: Tissue culture really helps you to maintaining that stability yeah. of your genetics and the content producing.
1: Exactly. That's what I think that it is necessary. Yeah. OK, and
0: uh, how is that in uh, North uh, America? Brady, do you have commercial experience with uh, tissue culture already?
3: Uh, a lot of clients are designing facilities now with them in place. Uh, I'd say primarily to be used, how, how Philip had mentioned, to uh, basically as genetic storage to clean mothers and, and keep a safe genetic storage. Uh, I think uh, macro propagation is so successful cloning uh, with cannabis that uh, the the time frame from a culture to production lots aren't necessarily economical, especially talking about really large lots. But uh, I believe there's a lot of benefits. Again, with t- with uh, genetic storage and keeping clean mothers, and if you're starting with a vigorous clean mother plant, you know you're going to have a vigorous clean production lot following that.
0: Yeah. Okay. And uh, Paul, do, are you as village farms also looking into uh, this already?
3: Uh, yeah, it's
2: it's our intention to move towards uh, producing our mums from tissue culture. Uh, we uh, we followed the work that Philips been doing. Uh, Using, you know, so he's compared the uh, re- regular clones, uh, mother pl- uh, clones from tissue mothers. So, and then tissue culture plants. Lots of uh, other areas of horticulture, we use virus free stock that has been uh, raised through tissue culture, but the propagation of the of massive cuttings is usually taken from uh, plants that are virus free. So, the same thing can be applied here to the cannabis. We don't really know what the mothers have acquired, what diseases the mothers have acquired, but by taking it into tissue culture and then bringing it back, growing that tissue culture, mum, taking your cuttings from that mother should mean that we're free of viruses and we're free of other diseases. So we want to go ahead and do that. And it also is part of the efforts we're doing right now to uh, have more uniform mothers. Therefore, we get more uniform cuttings and really trying to uh, get the cannabis crops closer to the uniformity we've seen available crop.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, definitely a key topic of uh, this crop uniformity. And yeah, we also, as cultivators, we conducted some research uh, with Philip around uh, mother plant setup and um yeah, propagation. I think there's uh, still a big world to win for everybody, and uh, th- this crop starts with uniformity directly from the start. That can help you uh, within the cultivation. So, um, Philip, yeah, your conclusion was that growing cannabis in a greenhouse is not easy, as you have to react constantly to outdoor conditions. What are the m- most important factors r- with outdoor condition and how you are growing?
1: Um, well, if you well, uh, if you want to grow a very uh, uniform product, uh, you and, and you if you want to have a, also a uniform product uh, year round, uh, you you have to deal with uh, a light. That's the most important issue in 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 my opinion. So if you want to have a year-round harvest uh, for the same production, then you you have to work with light temperature combinations. Uh, And and another big thing uh, is, well, for us, it's Botrytis. So uh, you you can have a lot of diseases uh, in a lot of crops, but also in, uh, in, uh, in medicinal cannabis. But uh, if you start clean with with clean cuttings, a lot of them are more or less in control. But botrytis is still, at least for me, (laughs) it's a a hard one. So uh, we we need to know more of it. And uh, I'm sure that uh, there are problems uh, not only uh, uh, in Holland.
0: No, I think everywhere... uh... There are some challenges r- around uh, cultivation of uh, of this crop. Um, question from uh, the audience: uh, Nufan Akan, uh, asking, what is the difference between uh, gr- growing in a greenhouse and indoor? Is Brady, can you react on uh, that? Because you worked in both situations. What is the uh, cl-
3: definitely that, that's a that's a very good question. I say uh, my experience uh, exactly mirrors. Uh, Phillips, uh, indoor cultivation, uh, the capital expenditure, the the cost to build the facility is generally quite a lot more per area, but, uh, if designed properly, you can essentially set the parameters, you know, temperature, humidity, set points, and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, all the mechanics can maintain that, uh, the greenhouse, as Philip was mentioning, you're a little more, uh, you know you have to you have to react to the environment so in ontario you know in the summertime here will be over 30 degrees celsius and 80 percent humidity outside using you know traditional greenhouse methods passive ventilation or or fan and pad it's it's difficult to to cool with an evaporative chiller when the humidity is so high so you have to start uh you know really trying to find creative ways to, to dehumidify in those situations and to uh, maximize airflow for, for pest control. And I'd say that's the other uh, challenge with the greenhouse is pest pressure is generally a little bit higher. Yep. Uh, even using thrip screens and stuff on all your air intakes, uh, small pests can still come in and spores uh, for botrytis and powdery mildew uh, you know, will come right in through those filters. So more than, than running a clean, uh, sterile environment to prevent uh, the disease, we, we, we want to make sure our plants are healthy, we have proper airflow, and all of those to, to, to make sure we, we reduce pest pressure as much as possible.
0: Yeah, no, that's clear. Um, it, growing in a large facility in a big greenhouse is definitely uh, can be a challenge. Um, what are some of the things you are facing at this moment, Paul, because you're growing in a, in a massive greenhouse uh,
2: over there? Uh, yes, it's a twenty-five acre facility. Um, the uh, we're, we're not actually growing all. So one of our biggest challenges as an industry at the moment is that the market is a little bit out of balance with the uh, production capacity. There aren't enough legal outlets. The the, the provincial cannabis boards haven't allowed sufficient um, retail facilities. So. Getting that into balance, so we're 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 growing what we require for the marketplace. Uh, we're working to uh, get even higher levels of cannabinoids. We're looking to provide a bit more variety of um, of more genetic, different genetics for more variety in the marketplace. Um, high labor inputs. Uh, even though we're quite an efficient operation in the greenhouse, there's a lot more labor goes into a cannabis crop than goes into a uh, tomato crop. Uh, and the, the efforts we talked about for uniformity. Um, so I think those, the, it's, it's around those things. There's lots of things that we've encountered and dealt with. We didn't know anything about hermaphrodites and seed when we started, but we figured that out. Biocontrol, balance, mildew. Uh, A lot of these things do come down to genetics, so one of the simplest ways for getting out of the mildew problem is not to grow the varieties that uh, produce, uh, that suffer with mildew, Yeah. so yeah, those are some of the things.
0: Yeah, so quite a few challenges you're facing when moving uh, from a tomato crop to uh, a cannabis crop. Um, Brady, you are helping quite a few... uh, clients um, over there in Ontario region, uh, what you see as the biggest challenges uh, for growers? What comes back everywhere, and you really need to ha- guide them and
3: help them with? Oh, I—that's a good question. I would say the biggest challenge actually isn't that the same answer. You know, sorry, the same question keeps coming back. I'd say the biggest challenge is the diversity uh, that we deal with, and you know, you're dealing with a client that has. 20 years experience in a tomato house versus, uh, you know, a black market, uh, legacy cannabis producer, or, you know, an investor that has no crop experience and no cannabis experience at all. So I think the challenge there is again, is diversity and, and therefore needing to have a, a diversity of knowledge, uh, you know, to be able to help all of those clients and, uh, just further that point. That's, well, you know what I believe uh, is a big reason for the importance of of joining a team like uh, the cultivators to have a, have a team with such diverse knowledge. And again, that that allows us to be able to help in every situation possible.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. That's where we're all uh, aiming for here. Uh, is uh, yeah, uh, providing knowledge to the the growers and making sure they can have uh, better yields and and quality. That's where it's all about. Um, and one of those subjects often discussed then is lights. Um, we all know that this crop can handle so much light. 1000 um, micromol in an indoor facility is nothing strange. Whereas with what we do in Holland, it's maximum 250 micromol in a tomato crop. So that is completely different uh, light levels. Um, Paul, what, what is your preferred choice uh, regarding artificial light for y- your cannabis crop at this moment?
2: Right. So uh, when we were designing the facility and uh, putting all our plans together in 2017, um, the choice really came down to high-pressure sodium. Um, At that time, uh, LEDs were um, probably producing 2-point-something microvolts per watt uh, and you were getting a little bit around about 2 micromoles per watt from uh, the HPS. So there wasn't really an efficiency benefit. Now uh, the LEDs are producing 3.5. In fact, I think most recently I saw some that were very high red, which is a tiny bit of blue that's 3.8 micromoles per watt. Uh, now that efficiency is really becoming a big difference. And because it would become a, fact, uh, a factor to consider in the economics over the life of the project. Uh, but the capex for LED has always been much more than the, uh, than the HPS. Uh, when in 17, when we made the choice, um, one, one of the ways I like to look at it, how many micromoles do you get for a dollar of investment? And with the HPS, we get more than 10 micromoles. With the LED at that time, it was around about uh, four dollars of uh, sorry four micromoles for a dollar of investment. So if we had put LED instead of HPS, it would have actually made a difference of about fifteen million to the investment. So we figured it was far better just to f- complete the twenty-five acres with HPS uh, and save that fifteen million. Uh, now look at, uh, going forward, uh, BC, uh, BC Hydro, they're our electricity supplier. they do have incentives now for uh, they have incentives for energy saving use of LEDs. Uh, so that's, uh, that, that can help offset the, the investment cost and uh, the, with the extra efficiencies, I think going forward, we would be far more interested to look at uh, LEDs. And as we're learning, things like uh, Philip showed in his graph today, that there does in does seem to be some evidence that uh, we get a higher level of response photosynthesis from LED light, the same moles of LED light as we do from an HPS. Yeah. So we need to unpack that a little and understand it.
0: Yeah, so the, it, is, it is changing in your way. So, Philip, what, what yes. would
1: you... You have to do it with more uh, varieties just to be sure that it's always this. But um, I think if you uh, well, you you get more possibilities on on spectra uh, with LEDs and also on um, well, what what we 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 keep our LEDs on in summer because the temperature of LEDs allow us. To, to grow at uh, high temperature and with high pressure sodium because you have a lot of heat you have to switch off in summer so uh, also on the on, on the combination of uh, light temperature uh, you get more uh, well you, you you can do more w- with LEDs uh, but um, Again, um, uh, maybe you think, okay, he's a researcher, so it should be uh, going about uh, research. Uh, There is a lot of research uh, needed, not only on LEDs, but uh, on spectra, we we don't know much at this moment.
0: I think that's definitely uh, uh, something where research should look into in the the spectrum and the the effect on the, the potency of this crop Let's uh, make it a real direct question to you, Brady. If you uh, can build a greenhouse tomorrow or an indoor, what would you choose for? What kind of uh, light source? Would it be Sonti or LED? And how many micromole would you put in? <laughs>
3: uh, I, wish my, I wish my answer was as direct, but I would say, honestly, it's kind of Tamir Paul said, I think you have to really figure out the goal of the facility and know the nuances of your location, the like environmental costs. Is there elect- electrical rebates for LEDs, things like that. And again, how, what are your resources? How much money do you have uh, to start up? Uh, I think the most important thing is, is the intensity of light being able to to hit those those levels. Uh, you know, flower. we're talking 800 to a thousand, Uh, micromoles in the canopy Uh, I've you know I've seen much more in our greenhouse uh, we could walk through the hallway uh, you know with no supplemental lighting with the lycor meter and be hitting over 2,000 micromoles in the summer so uh, you know the crop can absorb quite a lot of of light Uh, I'll say the one thing I'll add that is very important uh, as was previously mentioned is the spectrum Uh, plant you know cannabis plant is producing terpenes and, and flavonoids in response to particular wavelengths, and if you don't supply that plant that particular wavelength, there just is no reason for it to produce that that secondary metabolite. So, you know, when we're talking about quality and, and really having you know high terpenes as well as high uh, cannabinoids, the, you know, the spectrum is, is very important.
0: Yeah, I totally uh, agree on that. Um, let's move into a question from uh, the audience. From Andrea Dipastena, is asking: Are there? Are, already any organic solutions to fight uh, the cannabis aphid. Um, Paul, for you, is that something, is cannabis
2: aphid also an issue for you? Uh, We haven't had a problem. Fortunately, we haven't experienced the cannabis aphid uh, that's uh, living on the the leaves and the flower of the crop. Uh, We did have a battle with the cannabis root aphid but mainly through uh, exclusion and some rigorous cleanup procedures we've managed to uh, to overcome that one uh, but uh, I think the but we don't have any biological control for it we don't have any anything at this stage that uh, has worked against it uh, there is one product uh, I think it's called PR 97 it's a uh, uh, there is a product in the U.S. anyway, PFR 97. Uh, that's registered in many places in the U.S., but we don't have a registration for it in Canada. But people I've talked to have said that that is very effective. It's a beneficial fungi, fungus that colonizes the aphid uh, and grows in the aphid, uh, and it will work, work quite well with higher humidities. It may not work so well if, uh, for indoor growing, where you're maintaining lower humidities, but uh, PFR 97, uh, Isaria fumarosa, (coughs) I think was the name of the, the, uh, the ingredient.
0: Okay. Um, Philip, did you experience uh, any pest diseases in, in your trials? Um, what, what was a pest which came back to you?
1: Um well what we what we normally do is together with uh with our uh supplier is that we we have uh, uh we always put in uh, biological control preventive and uh, and so far uh, most insects are controllable um so um but i don't have had much problems with aphids. Um, But uh, what I understood is that there is a a different aphid uh, over there. Um, I know uh, uh, two uh, European companies are busy uh, with uh, trying to find the best solution against this aphid.
0: Yeah, biological solution.
1: Biological solution, yeah. So they, uh, well, they do it at our station So, uh, but I'm I'm not I do not know what they exactly do, but uh, they are uh, searching for solutions.
0: So hopefully, it uh, will be available soon. How are are you dealing with it, uh, Brady, with uh, root aphids?
3: Uh, Yeah, unfortunately, I've experienced uh, my fair share of aphids and root aphids. The I'd say the challenge is going to be your location and what you're actually like what pest control products you're actually allowed to use. So Canada is 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 quite limited. Uh, We do have one uh, a biological agent that we can spray. Uh, It's called Botaneguard. I think uh, similar to what Paul was saying, it's a a fungus spore that uh, that germinates in the soft bodies of aphids. Um, takes about seven to ten days to to kind of germinate and take effect but it can be pretty effective uh, with repeat applications. Because aphids are so aggressive, uh, they can can be a big, big challenge. Uh, Strain is a big thing as well. We found they're they're very attracted to certain cultivars. Uh, Just in my experience, it tends to be uh, like high high limonene uh, cultivars. Uh, So because it's so aggressive, we need a really aggressive treatment uh, and in Canada, the best option is uh, actually predators. So we we use uh, uh, ladybug larvae and uh, lacewing larvae. Uh, the adults work as well, but the, the the larvae are just so much more voracious and, and eat so many more. And you again, you need that aggression to actually uh, eradicate a, a, a condition. So that's uh, that's my experience.
0: Okay, thanks for for your input. Um, we are now. Of course at a, the webinar from the green tech uh, a lot of suppliers come with innovations around the green tech often if I look now to this uh, crop cannabis um, what aspect of the cultivation for you guys really needs more interest to give this crop a boost in yield and quality Paul may I ask you first
2: right um, so. We've um, attended uh, the Green Tech uh, many times, it's probably um, north of 20 times now that I would have attended. So for me, a little bit, the, the, what you see new each year is a little bit incremental. Uh, for, uh, so, but I think the area that's of most interest right now is the application of artificial intelligence, uh, learning systems, automatic learning systems, Maybe not all the way to autonomous growing, but using the um, capabilities of artificial intelligence to simplify climate management. Uh, Maybe that we can have them operate the temperature and the combination between temperature, humidity, CO2 levels. Uh, And then uh, sensor systems, camera systems that... uh, things that Philip is trying that uh, can tell us more about the performance of the plant and give us early warning signals for disease and stress levels.
0: Yeah, And for you Brady, in which field of the crop you would like to uh, get something new for you to stimulate your growers?
3: Yeah, I would say I'm. Uh, I'm also definitely very excited about the spectral imaging and and you know all the cameras uh, being being added. Uh, but for the sake uh, of adding something, I would say that uh, I think a big, a big you know, area for for potential improvement still would be uh, post harvest. So uh, there's a there's a very large difference in quality from uh, hung dry manual trim to to, to using machine trimming and. You know the difficulty you're talking scale of you know 50,000 50, kilos a year, uh, you know or more. you know I'm sure in Paul's case there there really is no way to to manually trim that short of having you know 500 employees trimming. So so I would be really interested and in, and in something I've been looking for 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 years now is is some balance of of mechanical trimming that can that can uh, trim when the product is dry, but doesn't necessarily. Need the product to be completely bone dry, which which is the case with dry machine trimmers now, and they do a lot of damage and, and knock a lot of, uh, of trichomes off and stuff because they're so fragile. So I think uh, you know after six years uh, in the legal market, I'd say a lot of of competition is, is is able to grow very well now and is is figuring things out. But I think that that post harvest there's still uh, so some some room for improvement there.
0: So I see definitely a combination of. Artificial intelligence during the growing part, and then also, uh, yeah, some uh, new technology around uh, the post-harvesting uh, fields of this crop, which are as even as, as important as the growing, because um, drying in the in not in the right way can really kill everything you have done uh, during the growing part. So I think definitely two good subjects uh, to look into uh, altogether. Um, Irrigation is also a key topic uh, within growing cannabis. Uh, We see growers using flood systems or NFT, drip and even aeroponics. Uh, Paul, what is your preferred uh, system?
2: Well, in in, uh, all the vegetable greenhouses, uh, drip irrigation is what we know. Uh, All our systems are already in place. We've got the the drain collection systems as well with the gutter. uh, disinfection and recirculation of that drain water to conserve the nutrients and reuse. So yeah, the drip irrigation system uh, for the flower phase absolutely was uh, the simplest way to go. Uh, In the nursery though, uh, we grow a a slightly bigger plant than Philip does. We have uh, about four weeks of uh, vegetative phase so that plant has to be uh, spaced, and uh, we uh, doing other jobs on it as well, pruning and creating the form and character we want to go out to the greenhouse. So there, um, we chose to put a, a, a moving container system, so we can move the plants around within the nursery and bring the ta- bring them on those containers to a workspace. Uh, that That's... When you're doing that, there's no way you can attach each plant to a drip system. So there we do have evan flood, and uh, but the the important thing in that evan flood system is uh, disin- rigorous disinfection of the the drain water because a tremendous amount of water is released again yeah. uh, when you when you uh, drain the tables, uh, and then also cleaning of the tables. So when we install the system, we also install the. Uh, an automated cleaner for those containers, so that whenever we u- bring one out to to be used, it starts out uh, clean and sanitized.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of the aspects around um, irrigation is, of course, also a term uh, called flushing. Um, a lot of ideas are around that. Uh, Philip, I know you have done a little bit of research around that. In in real short, what uh, what is your feeling around flushing? within cannabis? Um,
1: well, what I've, well, you say I did little and that's true, so, but what I, what I saw so far is um, if you, if you flush, you will uh, get less production. Uh, if you compare it to the, well, that's at least what I saw. Uh, when you compare it uh, with the, Uh, with when you go to uh, feed them uh, uh, what what we do normally. Um, But uh, so in my opinion, there should be a very good reason to do it. And uh, what I hear, there is a good reason. So then it's necessary. But uh, uh, so uh, what I hear is that if you flush, the quality is better. Uh, f- for selling so then it's then it's a no-brainer but you have to be aware it it will cost you some production
0: yeah no, that's uh, that's completely clear um, we are almost coming to the end of uh, this session um, I really want to thank you guys uh, for your input uh, Philip for your presentation about the latest <coughs> insights uh, the, of research in the Netherlands um, Paul and Brady, you as experienced uh, growers in uh, North America, thanks uh, for your input. And I think um, definitely um, bring you up to speed uh, more often. And let's um, all enf- emphasize that it's really important to uh, bring out the knowledge we all gather so that we can all move uh, forward with uh, this crop and uh, yeah, um, making sure that all the growers can uh, get higher yields and uh, quality. I want to thank you all for listening, and I hope you to see you in the, the next webinars. Thanks.
2: Well, thank you.